Welcome to the Think Anesthesia podcast. In celebration of Veterinary Technician Week 2021, we are interviewing career veterinary technicians. For this episode, I am honored to introduce Jennifer Sager, certified veterinary technician and veterinary technician specialist in anesthesia and analgesia, as well as emergency and critical care. She currently serves as the Small Animal Hospital Education and Training Specialist at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. She's a contributor to many books and articles, but one specifically we look forward to asking her about is her co-chair authorship and the only veterinary technician contributing author to the 2020 American Animal Hospital Association Anesthesia and Monitoring Guidelines, which are available for download on the AHA website. Also, I'd like to highlight that she serves as the current president of the Academy of Veterinary Technicians in Anesthesia and Analgesia, so the credential body for the VTS and Anesthesia and Analgesia. With that, welcome, Jennifer. We're happy to have you. Thank you, Amanda. I am thrilled to be here, and I am equally thrilled to be talking to you because if anybody doesn't know, I actually hired Amanda back in the early days to start her truck in anesthesia, and it's been all uphill ever since. And for that, I'm super proud of her, and I'm super proud that she asked me to be here. And I hope that our little podcast for Veterinary Technician Week can help some of you guys kind of redirect or, or think about things. And let's chat. Excellent. Well, as Jennifer mentioned, she did hire me into the University of Florida, the straight out of undergrad. So at the very beginning of my career where I was a baby technician, she was my mentor through my VTS and anesthesia and analgesia as well. And she fulfilled the management role there in the anesthesia department, but has since grown to a management role overlooking the entire small animal hospital through education and training. So Jennifer, I'd like to start by asking you a question about your transition from clinical practice, um, a private practice to academia, into a department, to managing that department, and then being in an educational management leadership role over the whole uh, small animal hospital, which is quite large, overseeing quite a few. So just please highlight to us, the value of being a technician, acquiring your specialty and, and unique skill set has really contributed to your career advancement. Yes, great question. And I think we all have our stories in the beginning of, you know, I started back in the veterinary field when, and I often joke during many of my lectures that it was six, 800 years ago. But about 25 years ago, I did start at a general practice, much like the same stories you're going to hear from all of us. I was the kettle tech and I fell into the veterinary technician role. And as most of us do, we answer the phone, we give the vaccines, we hold on to the patient, go ahead and do anesthesia, just turn the blue knob, turn the green knob, you know, it'll be fine. The patient will wake up. And I really didn't know any better, but what I thought I wanted to do was go to vet school. And I think a lot of us have started on that track. Our passion for animals and our passion for patient care, I wanted to go to vet school and, and that, was, that was it. I was gonna go into the military, be an army veterinarian, and I got part of those goals completed and then realized that's life changes. I got married, had a baby, and that's really not the direction I wanna go in. So I went back into to general practice just to, to see if that was still what I wanted to do. And it was. And then the opportunity arose that I moved to Florida and 
was looking through the jobs and said anesthesia technician. And I said, yeah, I could totally do that. You know, I turn the blue knob, I turn the green knob, it'll be fine. Honestly, I probably had no idea what I was doing. Um, fortunately, they did hire me and I quickly realized I didn't know what I was doing. I was under the guidance of many veterinary technicians, many veterinary clinicians, and really developed a passion for clinical anesthesia. And I was actually really good at it once I figured out <laughs> there was more to the blue knob and the green knob. And as I was going through the day-to-day -day process of learning, I heard something kind of in the background that one of my other colleagues was going for a technician specialty. And I worked alongside of her and, and I never knew what that was. And I thought, well, I could do that. Just like before, I could totally do this. And I think that's probably where a lot of things have come into life. Yeah, I could totally do it. And I've jumped in both feet, not knowing what the hell I'm doing. But I thought, well, I can study. I really like this. I'm a nerd when it comes to books. So I studied, I passed the test. I thought, wow, okay, what's next? Because I'm also that type of person was I, I wanted to keep going. And I really didn't have the direction of I wanted to, to do the books that you had talked about and to authorship these articles or to even be president of the academy or go into management. I just I wanted to know what was next. I wanted to do something different. And that's how I got into emergency critical care, because it kind of goes hand in hand with the anesthesia. And that's really where life changed for me as a veterinary technician. As I gained my specialty certification, people were reaching out and it was kind of one of those, I am not the most boisterous person until I get to know you type of thing. And then I won't shut up, but people were coming to me and saying, Hey, I looked, I saw you're double boarded in the state of Florida. Would you mind writing a chapter? Okay. So you know what my words were? Hey, sure. I could totally do that. Yeah. Let's go for it. And then the opportunities just really started to open up. One chapter turned into two chapters, turned into Midmark Animal Health coming to me and saying, hey, we're starting a new anesthesia training program. Would you like to be involved? And I thought, sure. As my usual, I could totally do that. And 2014 is when I started as one of their anesthesia trainers. And we have grown tremendously ever since. And just with opportunities through clinical practice at the university, I not only love veterinary medicine and anesthesia and emergency critical care, but I love teaching people. And I realized that's the morphism of writing these chapters and being invited to do these opportunities has really honed in that I like to teach people. And that's really what my direction, I think, has kind of gone into and, and why they created my current position at the University of Florida as the education and training specialist, because there, there wasn't that role before. This is a very brand new role. It's allowing me to help uh, all of the technicians and all of the staff instead of just anesthesia. And by all means, anesthesia is probably at the forefront of most of my lectures, but I feel that I can contribute to their well-being, to their knowledge, and make a difference in their life. And really give them the guidance that they need because we're all busy. And if anybody's in that type of management role, you know, you wish you could potentially talk to your techs more, be on the floor more with them and train more with them. But I can bridge that gap for them. I can still 
oversee people and still manage people, but still be on the clinical floor teaching. And to me, that checks all of my boxes. Yeah, it sounds like a passion that started for animals has really developed into helping other technicians and future veterinarians, aspiring veterinary veterinarians and veterinary technicians really hone in the skills to help even more patients. So we go from loving animals and maybe not so mm-hmm. much people to really <laughs> valuing people and helping them love and help animals. So it kind of loops back around to that human animal bond. Absolutely. And I tell my students all the time, if I can just teach you one thing that you are going to remember, whether you're the DBM student or whether you're a technician student or whether in any type of role, client service role, if I can teach you one thing that's going to make that bond between us and the patient better, then I've done my job. And that's what makes me happy. That's really impactful. So I hope that resonates with our listeners uh, today and obviously in the future. Specific to authorship, did you ever find yourself really exploring those opportunities and searching them out as an individual? And if so, are there any places you could encourage someone who's like, you know, I'd really like to try that, um, but I just don't know where to look. Can you, can you give us some insight to where we might be able to look? Well, that's a great question. And it's kind of multifactorial, right? Because again, a lot of the doors of my veterinary technician career opened up after I regained my specialty. And when I authored my first chapter, I had no idea what I was doing. But then I started to look at different organizations and say, well, I mean, they published it. So I, I must have did okay. There was probably a lot of editing. But realize we often think of our lives, especially in veterinary technology or veterinary medicine is it's very centric, very, this is my clinic, this is what I'm doing. But if you were to reach out to say your state organization or reach out to a lot of the, the patient care advocates like the AHAs, like the Animal Health, Midmark, like Vetimac, just various places, there are those hidden opportunities that you can reach for. Yeah, absolutely. We, we want to hear what you have to say here, write an article, um, doing a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just taking some of the opportunities where you're at is the perfect starting point or the perfect launching pad for somebody. And I did a lot of that there at the university of Florida with lectures and things like that. And our world is so small yet so large that, you know, if you start to get your name out there, even in the smallest way, people will find out. And a lot of times they're looking for that. And our our world is so busy and, and so impassionate right now that we need various leaders from all facets of veterinary medicine, clinical practice, academia, corporate world, sales, things like that, because we all mesh together. And so even those smallest places you can get opportunities from. That's wonderful. Thank you. I hope that encourages some to get their name out there and look for those opportunities. Of course, I do want to highlight you're the first veterinary technician co-chair for a guidelines development for AHA. I'd love to hear a little bit about that experience specifically because you're the only technician on that particular guideline group. I know AHA has had other technicians contribute to articles, but 
specifically in anesthesia and analgesia, we're constantly referring to that article. Tell me about that experience being the technician in that group. Absolutely. Prior to the 2020 AHA anesthesia and monitoring guidelines, I actually worked on the 2018 feline anesthesia guidelines with Dr. Sheila Robertson. And, and she put my name out there as one of, as the technician that was on that panel. And my work with that really opened up my relationship with AHA because they were involved in that. And they were looking for kind of the next panel. So they tend to look at past authors. They also had some influence from the industry and were asking various in industry leaders, hey, we need that technician presence. We need that voice on the panel. And Midmark was one of those voices and said, hey, what about Jen Sager? She just came off the feline anesthesia guidelines. She's one of our trainers. And they said, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's bring her back. And I remember getting the email from AHA and I was like, holy moly. Okay, well, I can do this. I just did the feline ones. I can do this. Let's go. And I was really happy and I was really terrified at the same time. And I remember when I got to Denver and I sat in the room and I must've had some strange look on my face because here I am with all of these big names of anesthesia. Dr. Gaynor and everybody that's in the room and Dr. Grubb. And I sunk down into my seat and I was like, I, I don't need to be here. I mean, obviously there's more anesthesia minds here. What do they need from me? I'm just kind of filler. And somebody came over to me and she said, you know, you're here because we want you here. And you're here because we want your voice. She said, I realize there's a lot of big names in the room stand up because you're here for a reason. And that resonated with me. And I thought, okay, maybe I can do this. They want me here. And so I jumped in, we had days and days of work and that imposter syndrome that was trying to creep in started to meld away. And they really asked me questions. And that was when I knew that this newer guideline, this 2020 guideline was going to be so much better and more impactful because they were looking at various parts, not just turn the vaporizer on or what CRI do I need to use or how do I recover this patient? But they were looking for every part of the process from the veterinary technician to the clinician, to the patient and how all three interacted. And Several days after we kind of broke apart, I got another email and said, hey, thanks for coming. Oh, by the way, we'd like you to be co-chair. And same thing, sunk down in my chair. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. I can do this. <laughs> but I paired up with Dr. Grubb, who is fantastic. And we blew apart those guidelines. And we really just took everybody's voices, every single part of the way, it was looked at from, okay, this is the process of anesthesia and monitoring. This is what scientifically needs to be done, which is what we're all interested, right? That's why we look at those guidelines. How do I anesthetize this geriatric old gnarly patient that needs a dental? But how do I look at it from a veterinary technician point of view and what's involved in that process? And how do I look at it from a clinician point of view? And that's really how we created those guidelines. And so I think it was a, a great meld of work from all of us. And I 
you know, hope that I, I did our industry proud from our vantage point, but really wanted to get out there and make the difference in the changes. And I, I think that we did that. Absolutely. I agree. I think the 2020 guidelines really captured the continuity of care from the veterinary technician going to get the patient from the client to returning it back to their client's arms. And I think you're right. The, the veterinary technician has that unique perspective in many ways as part of that team that provides that continuity of care and, and best practice. So likely probably the hardest question I'm going to ask, and we'll finish with this, is what is something you still aspire to do? Because looking at your accomplishments, many of us listening, including myself, really look at you as a mentor and someone to aspire. What is something you still have on your plate that you'd like to check the box? It might be something simple. It might be something really grand, but share it with us. Check the box. Well, I mean, if that does involve moving to the beach and having all of my cats with me in a, <laughs> a nice flat pad, that would be amazing. But I was actually poised this question a few months ago and it stopped me in my tracks. And I realized the reason why it stopped me is because I didn't have an answer at that point. And it was my supervisor saying, what do you want to do? I've been at UF for 17 years in the industry for 20, 25 years, what is that next step? I seemingly have th those things accomplished, but what do I want to do? And I had to think about it. What do I want to do? But it all comes back down to that educational role for training staff and, and training technicians. And I, I feel that's really where my passion was. They created this position for me. Why not create you know, an, another step? Well, why not create that director of nursing that I can oversee all of the technicians and all of the training and really standardize training? Because I think that's where we're getting so busy in the world that it really falls short. Because I really feel that my passion is directed more globally now for the staff. We need the hard skills, we need the soft skills, and even at an academia setting there still needs to be somebody there available. I am super excited that you were able to share with us some of the roles, obviously the experiences you've been able to secure with the various authorships. You shared with us what becoming a VTS, specifically in anesthesia and analgesia, as well as emergency and critical care, the doors that's opened for you. And we're super excited about that. Definitely the AHA resource is something many of us look to, including myself, when I build the Think Anesthesia educational content. So your contribution to the veterinary industry is, I'm going to say, unsurpassed. It really has been something that I'm really excited you've taken time to share with those of us uh, listening. So for that, Jennifer Sager, we're so excited you joined us and we very much appreciate your time. In celebration of Veterinary Technician Week 2021, we are interviewing career veterinary technicians. For this episode, I am honored to introduce Mr. Jeff Bacchus, CVT, RVT, and VTS in emergency and critical care. Starting his career in 1994 as a veterinary assistant, Jeff is an accomplished veterinary technician leader in our community. He is co-founder of the Vet Tech Cafe podcast with Dave Cohen, an accomplished speaker in topics related to emergency and critical care with a focus on toxicology. He currently works for ASCPA Animal Poison Control Center. 
did I, I flipped that. Recapture. <laughs> <laughs> ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center. With that, Jeff, welcome to the Anesthesia, Think Anesthesia podcast. Thank you. For most, <laughs> thank you. Let's start with the most challenging question or comment I'll solicit from you today. Would you, in a few sentences, capture what it means uh, to you to being a career veterinary technician? Yeah, that's a, that is definitely a tough one. I think for me, when I started out, I didn't anticipate, I guess, really in a, in a career this long. I kind of thought I would go the vet school route after a few years. But honestly, once I got started and realized that it was the technicians that were taking care of the patients that were doing all of the hands-on and then, well, certainly the veterinarian got to do the surgery, but they didn't do a whole lot hands-on with the actual patient. And as I grew in the field and opened my eyes to all the possibilities that were out there, it was ever expanding. And so for me, when I look back on the 26 years now or whatever, it's really amazing to me what you can do in this field and the relationships and the networking that you can do, all the different paths that you can take. It honestly meant so many people don't even know that are out there. And it's just this world of helping patients that can't tell you what's wrong and you get to have that aspect of figuring it out, which is a lot of fun for me too. I think the, the mental challenge of it is something that I always really, really enjoy. I appreciate the challenges as well. Obviously, we all find our niche, mine being anesthesia and analgesia, yours in ECC. Could you just tell us a little bit about your role with the ASPCA Poison Control Center? Yeah, absolutely. So I am one of their support staff personnel, which basically means that I answer phone calls when clients or veterinary hospitals call in, take just actually not unlike working in a veterinary hospital where you take patient history and I get all that information about the exposure, what was actually ingested, time frame. And then there are several cases that I am now trained to uh, kind of manage on my own based on protocols and what have you. The more advanced things or things we don't have protocols for, I consult with the doctor, but then still go through all the client communication in many ways, just like you do in hospital you know, say, is this going to be a problem? What do we need to be doing about it? Can we take care of it at home? Do we need to go to the clinic? And then write up a digital chart. So it's in some ways the same. It's very different in that I get to work from home. The organization itself is unlike any clinic I've ever worked for, but the work honestly is, is not unlike many things we do in a veterinary hospital. And I'm a huge toxicology nerd, so I love it. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely some advantages. Obviously, I would assume that there's good work-life balance with a work from home. I'd really like to know, as a credentialed veterinary technician specialist in ECC, do you feel that contributed to making you an ideal candidate for your role? And you can expand that to some of your other career opportunities outside of clinical practice as well, some of your speaking opportunities. Yeah, yeah I, so I think so. It, it definitely has afforded me a whole lot of new opportunities. For my current role, there is one other BCSBCC that I know of there. We were just hired as credential veterinary technicians. They don't really have any additional tasks for BCSs quite yet, but they are working to learn how to incorporate it and, and how to make a next level, if you will. 
So for my role, they do hire veterinary assistants, they hire credential veterinary technicians. So I don't think it's been a whole lot yet other than I will get to contribute to some research and such down the road after I've been there a little bit longer. But um, outside of that, in terms of speaking at conferences, writing articles, you know, writing book chapters for tech, that kind of thing, I think those are the big places that really having that advanced credential is, is where you kind of see that stuff start to come to play. Just because you, you probably have done a little bit more research on certain topics or you have a little bit more of a, a focused area of interest, you now have that advanced credential behind your name that just carries some additional weight. So I think those for me have been the biggest opportunities. And I know there are several others out there. Colleagues of mine have taken after teasing VCSs as well, but I think writing and, and lecturing have been the two that for me were the most noticeable differences. So along those lines, if you have any words of encouragement or advice that you'd like to give the aspiring technician who is looking to become maybe a veterinary technician specialist in any field or anything specific to ECC, please share with us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think my favorite thing to say is to find your nerd. Whatever it is, you know, if, if you're working in general practice, I think that's a great place to start because you do so many different things throughout the day. And whatever it is, if that's the dentistry, there's a cohast, if that's the eye exams, if that's the derm stuff, if that's, you know, emergencies when they come in, whatever it is that you really, really enjoy about that day. And I might be talking communication, like you can specialize in, in clinical practice. So, so whatever it is that you look forward most to of those appointments or those cases or those patients that come in with those diseases, whatever it may be, gravitate towards that. Don't be afraid of it. Just go see if you can learn more about that, become the authority in that clinic on those kinds of things as far as the, the veterinary technicians go. And then see if there's an avenue that you want to work to make that a career path and find a, either a specialty location or find a location outside of clinical practice, if it's zoo medicine or whatever it may be. There is so much more to this field than just working in, you know, the same practice year over year over year. And many people choose to do that and love to do that. That wasn't for me. And I really, really commend those people who do. But I think there are a lot of things out there. If you find something that you are really passionate about, it takes a little bit of extra work, but go for it. Like just find your nerd and, and go for it. Yeah, I like that. Find your nerd. And of course, for our listeners, if you are interested in a particular specialty, the NAFTA website, N-A-V-T-A website, has links to all of the um, academies, and you can find more information about the specific academies outside of our wheelhouse of expertise here. But Jeff, I do want to thank you for your dedication and contributions to the veterinary profession. Before we sign off, I would like to highlight your podcast, The Vet Tech Cafe, where you interview leaders in our profession. I'm curious if you would share a message that maybe you've captured when interviewing one of our fellow colleagues that really stood out to you personally. Maybe it's something that really gave you a re renewed sense of inspiration, just something that you'd really like to pay forward and make sure that everybody's heard. Yeah, uh, and to be very honest, um, I, I could probably say something about every episode along those lines, because it, just like what I was just saying about, you know, finding your, your path, 
we are talking to people who have found that path and are very passionate about usually one specific area of, of veterinary medicine. And we have talked to so many people who are doing things in veterinary medicine who have blazed their own paths, are running their own businesses, doing their own things that honestly didn't even know existed. And it, it's actually very inspiring to me because when we started this podcast, Dave and I both were at a bit of a career crossroads and what we were going to do next. And was it time to leave the field? Was it this? And, and honestly, talking to these people for the last nearly two years now and hearing their stories about the paths that they've taken, every episode in its own way has been very inspiring. So everything from Mark Romanowski talking about zoo medicine and all the cool things that he's doing to we've talked to leaders in most of the VTS academies at this point and how their day looks. Just everything that they've, they've been talking about has been really, really rejuvenating for me and kind of re-stoked the flame in my career. And that's actually ultimately, I think, what kind of got me to, to look into poison control and now find my niche. And now I'm happier than I've been in years. And I think that's just hearing people kind of figure out their way. And so I hate to have a generic answer like that, but it truly could be every episode where it's, it's something like that. I, I really do appreciate that you've been able to find a way to highlight other professionals so that we have that connection with individuals throughout our industry. I'd like you to give us some more information on where some of our Think Anesthesia subscribers might be able to take advantage of your podcast. So it's uh, available for download. We have new episodes every other Sunday night, 8 Eastern. So any major platform, you'll be able to find it. It's the, the Vet Tech Cafe podcast. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and then our website is vettechcafe.com. You can subscribe and download. We do have a YouTube channel as well. For the most part, the episodes every other Sunday night. And we, as you said, just talk to the leaders in our field. So different VTS Academy leaders. And we also talk to people outside of the clinic who have kind of blazed their own path just to highlight all of the different things outside of the clinic, just kind of like what you're doing here with veterinary technician credential, people that are working from home, people that are, you know, doing paraprofessional work, whatever it may be. So just lots of really great discussion about the veterinary technician profession, the things that we can do, the problems that we have, the issues that we face, and some ideas and discussion about all of that. Excellent. Well, thank you, Jeff. We really appreciate, again, your, your dedication and contributions to our profession. Thank you, subscribers, for taking advantage of this podcast and look forward to the next one. 